This is the good, the Baz, and the ugly. I'm the Baz. Well, that no, I'm Baz. That sounds weird if I go around calling myself the Baz. Anyway, uh, look, this podcast is filled with uncensored interviews with experts in particular fields or real-life stories from people who have inspiring personal tales to tell. It covers various topics and life stories that I've really dug, you know what I mean? And I think you'll dig them too. Just so you know, this podcast is for grown-ups. It may contain adult themes, sexual references, and strong language. Fuck yeah! No, I just wanted to. Sheet! Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Hold it now, wait, hold it. I know you're gonna dig this. I think the best thing for me to do is to introduce him. What the... What's his name? Baz Ashwami. It's not Baz Ashwami, it's Baz Ashmawi. Ah, welcome. Ah, you're very welcome to the series... Uh, that's not a series. It's episode ten of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh yeah. Is it episode ten? Uh, I don't even know if it's, yeah, it's episode ten. All right, yeah. Because for a second there, I thought it was like episode two of series two, but it's not. It's just don't want to confuse. There's no rules. No, no rules. I want to do whatever the fuck I want. We're crazy like that. You're very welcome. Uh, myself, John John Mahi here. Uh, very glad that you uh you you came and joined us for a little listen. Um, listen, I'm gonna I jump straight into this one. Right, I'm very cautious and careful not to drown my senses with waves of overly positive energy. Do you feel me, John? John, you know what I'm talking about here. I do, unfortunately. You know these people that it looks like their grin has been slapped on their face like a for sale sticker. Those overly happy fuckers, right? And I'm a happy guy, right? But those overly happy fuckers with their beaming hot rays of intense positivity, 24 hours a day. Get away. Just get... <laughs> please, hand me some Factor 50 and just fuck off. Right? Because, honestly, that's how I feel about it. You can't be like that all the time. It's not human. It's not normal. Now, bearing in mind, I really, really... Like, I think we all are. Myself, John, John, am I? We all believe in the power of positivity. Like, I, that's how I live my life. That, that That's like my bumper sticker. That's my ethos. Like, I believe that the energy you put out into the universe will propel you through this... Well, we call it a crazy world, you know? Unprecedented times. <laughs> what whatever it is. Do you know, I think the way you, you look at the universe around you in a negative or positive, a positive way, it will make you open to more negativity or more positivity. You feel me? Yeah. Right? So we created this podcast purely to put something kind of positive that entertains people uh, at a time when it's hard to be like that. But everyone has shitty days. Everyone has shitty experiences, you know, that they remember or look back on or are living through right now, you know, and and that makes them feel sad. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay to be sad. You know, that's actually normal. That's that's human. Unlike the happy fucker we were talking about earlier on, Uh, you know, like it's it's not just me to get sad, is it? No, everyone gets sad. Yeah. You see, and I know this. I know this especially because I had a chat this week with Helen Russell. Link, link. See how I linked that all together? Nice. Somewhat, somewhat fumbly, but, but I got there in the end. This week's guest is Helen Russell. Helen is a best-selling author, journalist, speaker, and a happiness researcher. Happiness researcher? Do you just think of some grumpy fucker going, when you thought, how me you When you thought, how me you My missus is a happiness researcher. No, um, happiness research. I never met a happiness researcher before. Her first book, The Year of Living Danishly, 
became an international bestseller and has been optioned for television. She is an author of four other critically acclaimed books, Gone Viking, uh, The Atlas of Happiness, um, Leap Year, and her new book, guess what it's called, John John, guess what it's called? Yes. <laughs> no, How to Be Sad, John John. It's called How to Be Sad. I was so close. You were very close. You were very close. Helen shares everything she's learned about getting happier by being sad better. I, I was straight in. Well, like hooked straight away. She's a regular keynote speaker and a host for organizations including Google, Lego, Action for Happiness, TEDx, and the How To Academy, and many, many more. That chat I had with her is great. This, this is that chat. Hi, Helen. Is that right? I'm trying to be Hello. Danish. I'm not sure. Is that, is it? Hi, Vanderhead. I can't do it. It's, you're, you're not even That's Danish. That's very good, but I'm good at. Ah, no, I know. Yeah. No, but do you know what? The hi is just the same as the, the hi that you have. So that's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So t- oh, tell me, there's so many questions. Tell me this. Um, what, uh, I know you're very famous. What are you most famous for? <laughs> you are, you are, you are. Oh, my you're... goodness. You're very kind, firstly, and I will pay you lots of money later. Um, no, I am a writer and um, a speaker, and so no one can do that at the moment. But I wrote a book, The Year of Living Danishly, that got published uh, all over. I used to be a journalist. I was the editor of marieclaire.co.uk, um, and I lived and worked in London. And then I moved to Denmark and started investigating happiness. And then I've since done that all over the world. Um, and so now I'm sort of turning my attention to the other side of things that sometimes gets left out. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Do you know what caught my attention? You're a super cool cat. You are. Like, I know this about you. you Living Danishly, that's... Is that becoming a movie? Is is that right? Did it, I hear that? Well, we really hope so. But you know what these things are like? You know, people have been saying things for many years. And so w- until I see something on a screen, it has been optioned, yes. Yeah, nice. Congratulations. Anyway, listen, uh, tell me this. What was the appeal of Living Danishly, do you think? What was the big appeal of that book? Well, to be oh, of the book or of actually living in Denmark? Live, I suppose both, living in Denmark. <laughs> the, um, the appeal for actually living Danishly, me, my person self moving here, was that I basically hit rock bottom in London. I was burnt out. I'd been having fertility treatment for years, trying to start a family. It hadn't worked. Um, and then out of the blue, my husband, we'd only been married a year. It was quite new. I was keen to please. Um, mm. He got offered his dream job working for Lego in rural Denmark. So I agreed that I would give it a year and I would go freelance and moved here but had no job had no friends had nothing so I kind of had to start from scratch and at the time Denmark had been voted the happiest country in the world in the UN um, happiness polls and so I started investigating that and writing about it for newspapers back home and then somebody asked to make that into a book. I had a quick question for you you said you hit rock bottom did you know you'd hit rock bottom or just looking back now you 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 realize you hit rock bottom? I knew I was burnt out. I knew that I knew that nothing was was right. So I was kind of yeah, I guess I had because I was willing to give up my job, my home, uh, yeah, throw it all up yeah. in the air and see what happened. Yeah. So so you arrive in you arrive in Denmark and mm-hmm. it's the happiest place in the world, seemingly. It makes Lego. <laughs> so what was your first impressions? 
I mean, not happy at all. It was pitch black. It was freezing. It was another very, very cold winter. I think it was sort of minus 20 at the time. The fjord had frozen um, and I didn't know anyone and I didn't speak the language and I had no job. And then my husband left to go to work at 7.30 a.m. and I was all on my own and I worried I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. So I think oh. as a... Um, out of out of fear, really, I started um, pitching as a freelancer back home and trying to force myself to get out there, force myself to be more brave and tenacious than I really felt, to meet people, to learn about my new surroundings. And I decided to look at a different area of Danish living each month and see what Danes did differently and see if I could change the way I lived as a result in the idea that if I couldn't get happy in what was supposedly the happiest country, then where could I? So that was my my goal Danes aren't Danes are a little like Londoners they're not massively chatty first off so that took some time but um yeah it was a slow process so so I suppose um there's certain things that I'm I'm really fascinated by and and one is one is actually sadness and how um I think sometimes people replace emotions in life you know so um you replace anger with sadness say for example and for a long time i was angry about a lot of shit you know and 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 then i had a chat with someone and i realized that it's easier to be angry than to be vulnerable and to let these old scars come out but there's this buzz at the moment about happiness you know, like mindfulness and happiness and the pursuit of happiness and all these things. When I heard that you were a happiness researcher, kind of, I was like, how do you become a happiness researcher? Like, um, how did that go <laughs> for you? And what, I suppose, what were your findings of that, you know? I, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where you, you, you get given that moniker just because you do it so it's just that I started doing it and have been doing it for eight years now but I think um it it started because I was trying to find out why Danes were happy or had become who had been reported being happy in the happiness polls going back to actually to the 1970s um and then I started looking at different countries around the world but it's very interesting you know it's measured um it's measured by asking people how are you today how are you feeling about your life today Mm. and then how are you feeling about your life overall and then there's also the aristotle idea of a life with meaning and that appeals a bit more to me because it's not about just being jazz hands happy each day it's about a life with purpose i read i read a great quote the other day and it, it it reminded me of something it was i think it was um it was a jim carrey quote and he kind of just said, I wish everyone in the world could be rich and famous and have all those things they dreamt of, because then they'd realize that none of that matters. And I think it's that thing of, you know, the happy that happiness destination. Oh, you know, when I get that car, you know, I'm going to get this job or if I got that award or, you know, whatever, then, I, then I'll be so happy. And I remember years ago, like, it's a couple of years back, but I, I, I won an Emmy and everyone around me was causing this big, big, big kind of fuss. And I, I was excited, but it just was nothing. It just wasn't. It was such a disappointment in a way. And I remember seeing other actors and people talk about winning Oscars and they're like, I'm so glad I won it young, because if this was your purpose of life professionally your purpose was to get to this elevation where you won an oscar and then you like because i won it and it's 
you know, I have it on my, you know, it's a doorstop. Like, it's just a piece of metal. Like, it doesn't really matter. So, um, is there a fear, I suppose, of that- there being a lot of pressure on us to be happy? Do you, do you feel like... Yeah, for sure. There's something, there's something, yeah, there is a lot of pressure. And I think, um, you know, the the positivity movement um, has has told us that, that that's what we should be pursuing. And actually, the more I would speak to people around the world and, and giving talks and interviewing people, that this obsession with the pursuit of happiness meant that people are often quite phobic of being sad. And as you say, this idea of striving towards a goal, there's a great um, researcher from Harvard, um, Professor Ben Tal-Shahar, who looks at a rival fallacy. And it is just as you say, that thing of we strive towards something, that's our goal. We think when we get there, then we'll be happy. And it's always a disappointment. It's always an anticlimax. So that's interesting, the idea of realising that young. Um, And I think, yeah, this idea that if we are ever, if we're ever so obsessed with happiness that we are afraid of being sad, then we there's no way we can be truly happy. So I felt as though I perhaps hadn't been clear enough in my previous work of of all of the times when I'm saying, well, this is these are the countries that are happier and this is what they're doing to help their standard of life, to help their well-being, to help their mental health. Um, I felt it was really important time. And I started writing this pre-pandemic, but um, it was an important time to say, but happiness and sadness are not mutually exclusive. You you can be both, and in fact, you have to have both in your life because that's mm. normal. That's how we are wired. So it felt really important to point out that yeah, it wasn't all about chasing happiness. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was having a chat with my 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 wife, right, and we're very very different, right. I'm very very okay, very not not very okay, and she's fucking nuts. No, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm very amazing. I'm very okay with being <laughs> open um, and saying. <laughs> You know, um, both our parents, like at some stage when we were younger, both our dads left. Uh, you know, and w- we were talking about something one day and I was going like, I'm like that. I was sad I, as a little boy. I was sad when that happened. She went sad. So like, like, sorry for yourself. And I was like, no, not, not sorry. Not sorry for myself. What do you mean? Sorry for myself. But the thought of her referring to herself as sad. Do you get me? There's a lot of people out there who just. It's like um, they want to sometimes hide our sadness so that they're not that negative person. Is there a fear of being mm-hmm. openly sad? Is, did you did you find that? Yeah, for sure. I think there is a taboo around sadness, for sure. Um, and, you know, we, especially, we're a lot better at dealing with um a poor mental health these days. I mean, 10 years ago, where I worked, for example, it would not have been okay to say to your boss, I'm suffering from stress or I'm having mental health issues for fear that it would impact negatively on your career. And we are doing a lot better. We're still not there, but we're doing a lot better in that respect. But I think people now worry that if they um, show their sadness, if they show their vulnerability, then it will be assumed that it's a, you know, that it's tipping over into something more serious when actually sadness is normal. It's, it's going to, we are all going to experience loss and sadness in our life. And I think in some respects, because I am quite an upbeat person. I'm quite, I use my hands a lot when I talk. Yeah. Um, people were often surprised. Is that genetic? That... Is that genetic? I wonder that sometimes. Like, I, I'm Do like you? that. And I yeah. think John, John, and funny enough, Mahi, we're all kind of, I know everyone has a little kind of down days, but yeah. But is that genetic? Can you control that? Can you can manipulate that? I Yeah, what of being a sort of an upbeat person? Mm, yeah. Or jazz hands hands. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 
I think, but I think you can't try to be something you're not. I mean, isn't that it? That we, that there's so much evidence now that being authentic is the much more healthy way to be. Um, I think our individual capacity for happiness is down to three things. So that's genetics, our early childhood experiences, and then our lifestyle. And so the first two we can't control, but the third we can. And that's not to say that we can all make ourselves a sort of jazz hands upbeat person, but we can take measures to um, to shore up our our mental health, to to um, to try to make sure that we give ourselves the best chance of feeling good and feeling happy but of course there's there's some part of it but interestingly I'm I'm like you I didn't grow up with my dad and so there's a lot of things I wonder I don't know how much of who I am and how I my outlook on life is from my dad because I don't know yeah. so we are all and you know I we are I'm a I'm a big girl now I'm a grown-up it's it's on me now so we all come with yeah. origin damage but it's um yeah, I had I move, had an, I had an it. experience recently where I, I was kind of raised by my mum and my gran and my gran died when I was about 14 and it, it was like losing a mum but I refused to go to the funeral because at the time I was quite selfish and I, I was too upset and I didn't know how to so my mum went to the funeral on her own without me it was just me and her and I was doing a documentary where I was revisiting funerals and stuff like that and my mum like was suggested why don't we go to your your gran's grave and and I was like, yeah, okay, I've never been, but yeah, I'll go. And we were walking around the graveyard. And when I got around the graveyard, I was looking for her name. But what I saw was a date. And oh, fuck me. Like, I just exploded. Like, from this really, all this sadness that was just like, I didn't even know was there. It was just buried so deep. That it just I could I couldn't control it because I'm a TV presenter, so I was like I don't want to li- completely lose my shit on camera, and I, even though the director will love this, like I, for my own sanity, I didn't exactly. want to. But I just couldn't. I couldn't. It was so um, it was so ingrained nearly in my body. It 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 made me wonder how long did I need to be sad? Do we need to be sad? Should I've just should that sadness have come out like years ago, you know? Had I, I just yes, for sure. But I, I get that's so interesting. I have a couple of questions. In, in I want to know where in your body you feel it, and I'm interested in why the date rather than name was. Such I th- do you know what I, 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 I do you know what I think it was? I think the date reminded me it was like 1980 something, 89, and immediately I was like, I, I like I'm a dad of six. I'm 45 years old. And it just reminded me of being a boy. Mm. And all of a sudden, it just brought me back to how long ago those feelings were. You know, it was it was just like, it was the most strange experience for someone who's very in control of my emotions. Like, if I watch a sad movie or I hear something sad or a friend tells me something sad, I'm okay with being open and, and being upset and having empathy and all that. But But it just... And the pain, like that, that kind of ache that came through me, like literally came through up through my stomach and my back and my arms. And it felt like it was like it coming out, out of my body. It was just a very mad experience where I thought, God, I wonder how many people are just walking around with this stuff just bottled inside them. And how important is it that we we know that we should be sad, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, and it does. It can sit in our body, and it has it has to come out. It has to. You can't just push it down and bury it and ignore it. You have to experience it, and there is no time frame on grief. And people, even who haven't lost anyone in in that way, we all have losses of some kind. We all have living losses. So yeah, the the psychologists have found that it's not so much um, what's happened to us that will impact us in this way. It's how we react to these losses. So it has it has to come out. The the cost of it not it is so detrimental to our to our mental and physical health, as mm. you say. Little children especially. I mean by teenagers we are that sort of delicate in between stage, but children often feel it in their stomach and will complain of stomach aches because they don't know how else to express that sadness. So yeah, as a mum of three now, I, I'm very aware of how how sadness can manifest in children and not doing that thing that we were probably told growing up as oh don't cry it'll be okay sometimes it, it won't and, and actually we should be able to cry when we want to it's natural it soothes mm. us it reduces cortisol so it's really important I, I, do you think it, like is that pursuit of happiness thing just to go back to that is that pursuit of happiness thing is that like i know it's a trend now but <clears throat> is that just a recent trend was it like when you look back was that popular before yeah that's so interesting it it is in a respect so um i I was had a period of bed rest um, where I did a lot of. I had very poor mental health and was thinking, "Oh gosh, I'm stuck." I had I had bed sores and and it, basically I was trapped in my bed. That's what I'm trying to say. And mm. so I went on a big voyage of discovery of the history of happiness and sadness because I thought, well, that's yeah, that is important to know and that informs how we feel about it today. And you know, in ancient you know, in Babylonian times, um, sadness was formed seen as a form of demonic possession. By Renaissance times, it meant that you were closer to God. And then you get to things like um, you know, the French Revolution, which gave many people, certainly in the UK, the idea that you don't want to show your emotions too much because then you might be like the French. There, there becomes lots of kind of xenophobia wrapped up in sadness and emotions. And then you get to the Victorian times and we think of them as being very uptight and repressed. But actually, they had a, a lot more of a, a culture around death because it was so common. So they had really elaborate grieving rituals and mourning and funeral rites. Um, and then comes comes the first world war and uh the 1918 flu and the second world war when suddenly such large state large scale grieving wasn't possible or practical and that's when you start to see that kind of buttoned upness coming in and churchill yeah. we know we all love churchill loved to cry and, and had you know loads of, of periods of really dark moods and depression but he kind of encouraged that idea of keep calm and carry on even though he never said that quote but he encouraged that idea that we just had to get through it somehow yeah i like i remember being in an airport and seeing these fijian men were saying goodbye to a family member and they're huge like i'm like six foot two these lads are like six foot five with big huge necks and and they were bawling like like wailing in the airports and and i was like oh, it's just very like very sweet like not in a talk like i'm not being toxic but it's part of their culture that is just like man yes. like we're like like this is what we do we just we're sad we're going to say goodbye to someone we love and we're, we're all going to yeah. cry and they were fucking wailing in the airport like i just i just thought it was amazing to look at and um, i suppose sadness a lot of the time because it's such a personal thing can be quite isolated as an experience so what should we do when when we're sad 
Is there, is I, there anything... I think that's it. You're quite right. It can it can feel really isolating and baffling for people trying to support somebody who's sad, but it shouldn't be. It should be the time when we feel the most connection with our fellow human beings. It should be the time that we reach out. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's about allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and and being able to say to people, "I'm, I'm feeling sad." If we can, the the um, the idea of um, if we don't have access to, to talking therapies. The idea of a buddy system is really important so that we have one trusted friend who we make a deal with, like, I will talk and you will listen and then you will talk and I will listen. And so that you have that connection. And then there's lots of things we can do, like, um, you know, culture as cure has been proven to work really well. So listening to a piece of music that can really stir emotions in you um, or reading reading books or audiobooks are really helpful when you are feeling low and the words seem to dance around the page being being read to is very soothing and then getting outside i think even it's a proper blizzard outside where i am right now it's minus 17 but getting outside for even 20 minutes will um, not only kind of make us feel better but it'll stop that normal low mood and normal sadness tipping over into something more serious so there there are things that we can do but it is about reaching out and making those connections and being patient Patience is not cool these days, but being patient with our sadness, thinking that we just have to sit with it and to tolerate that discomfort, which is something many of us are not used to yeah, at all. I, I wonder sometimes if, like, I suppose it's different from a, a, a man's point of view, because a lot of men in Ireland, especially like I was chatting to someone recently, uh, a comedian, and and we were chatting and I was like, like, have you ever cried with another man have has anything ever happened like a life experience between you and a friend where something's happened where where your friend has just broken down and you know you you've given him a hug and he's like yeah no and i was like wow like you know because i've had friends who've lost children or parents or you know they've had some bad news but you know whatever's happened and it's they've they've reached a rock bottom point and it kind of made me think i wonder you know like like in Ireland, what happens is they go for 10 points. Yeah. And then sure. all of a sudden I'm allowed to throw my arm around you and then I'll tell you everything. You know, they, they but they can't be connected like that. So for a lot of people, I, I think especially men, it's hard to always have someone to connect to, isn't it? You know, do you think that's changing? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I hope it is. I, I think that's certainly the same in, in my experience, like in, in England and in the US. And um, I spoke to... Um, someone from New Zealand who, who was telling me that you know in Maori culture it's a bit more like the Fijians you were telling me about that vulnerability is not seen as weakness it's seen as strength but I think generally generationally I hope it is shifting slightly um a couple of amazing guys I spoke to for the book um had both lost their fathers and they just both decided no enough I'm not being like that kind of idea of toxic masculinity we are going mm. to talk about this and so they set up the the dead dads club basically the the new normal to talk about this and to encourage other people to join them and talk about it and they are really passionate about the idea that it, it has to end here this idea that men are not allowed to express their sadness and that yeah as you say they can only yeah hug I, I, heard some, I heard something similar um a taxi driver i met he had um his brother had committed suicide and at the funeral the the three the, him, his brother and two friends were sitting around and they couldn't fathom it because i think he he had committed suicide over something like twenty thousand euro and they were like between us we would have given him twenty thousand euro like he committed suicide over that so all of a sudden it, they, they they came to this realization that this would never happen to them 
that whatever would happen, they would go for a walk once a week that wasn't a, a, around alcohol. Yeah. And they would go for this walk and they would they would talk to each other. They would share with each other whatever was going on. It's funny, one was the postman and I think one was a taxi driver and one owned a garage. And like even he was saying, like the postman was admitting that there was a this woman at work who was being a bitch and kind of bullying him. And they would kind of take the piss out of the situation a bit, but also give him guidance of how to deal with it and what to do. And, you know, how, and, and he just said they've been doing it for like 20 years, this walk that they have. They just oh, do it so religiously. Great. And I was like, that is just genius because... Uh-huh. Because I feel yeah. there's a lot of people that are, you know, probably women as well, you know, but there's a lot of people that just can't do that. They just, they're so terrified yeah. of, of, I think of what might come out of their mouth. Do you know what I mean? Or being judged or, or you know, yeah. going, oh, here's sad John again. You know, this kind of attitude, you know. I think um, barbershops are really good for that. Of um, you know, you sit down in the hairdresser's chair and and you talk. And actually, in the UK and in the US now, there is a real move to train up uh, barbers, to train up hairdressers to, to know how to have those conversations. John, John, do you like your barber? Do you have one particular barber? You just you're a barber whore. You just move around, do you? <laughs> Chat to anyone? Yeah. I, I, you now you say I love my barber. Like he's yeah. moved around a couple of times, and I I just go with him. He's he's Follow the him. best. I love him so much. He's such a great guy. Yeah. So it's funny you say that. It's it's certain places that are acceptable. I also think by being open yourself and admitting things, you know, like men love scars. You sit in a bar and shirts are showing, oh, listen, look at my scar here. Lads will have their top off and their trousers around their ankles showing <laughs> you the time they're a bit on, you know, on a trip to the Amazon. While emotion, emotional scars they just want to pretend they've never lived through anything but i found all those things all those scars that i have all those times i was hurt and came out the other side of it have made me much a much more well-rounded person you know i i and i'm okay and i've i think when we share like that it can empower each other it can it can create a trust between people right yeah, it's so important. Yeah, and it's great that you're doing that. It's great that, yeah, the more people who hear this conversation perhaps and think, oh, well, maybe I'll try talking about that more, more honestly and more openly, that can only be a good thing. Tell me this, are some people capable of kind of, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound flippant about it, but snapping out of their sadness quicker than other people? Do you know um, what I mean I, that? I take your point. I think snapping perhaps is not quite right because it, it's not a super quick thing but of course yeah. grief works in weird ways and especially um when you're a teenager for example you can i you know there's um there's a story about a a, a girl whose whose boyfriend died and within two weeks she's he, she's going out with someone else because when you're a teenager you are the center of your own world and you have all these emotions and you are there are highs and lows and it's it's just so much going on in an almost adult body but certainly once we have reached maturity brain maturity from the age of about 24 um there are there are things that we can do to if we sit with the sadness it's more likely to move on but there's no snapping i'm afraid and it can always come back and hit us you know bushwhack yeah. us in you know, 10 years time so it but that's okay as well i think there is a, a richness to this and when we are sad we are better placed to help other people there are good things about being sad as well we are we don't fall for the halo effect where we think good-looking people are amazing we don't fall for the fundamental attribution What's error the where we effect? think john john just sat well, the all the way effect. forward there he's quite handsome so he, yes he wants okay to know this is for john. john 
What's what it the is, halo So if you look at, um, if you just, you know, if you meet someone and they're just staggeringly beautiful so that you just mm. almost, you, you know, jaw agape, just sort of thinking, I just don't even know what to, how to even look you in the eye. Sorry, just um, one second. John, John, stop fucking nodding. He's nodding there like a dog. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, meet you. Looking at Go a picture. On, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, so that, John, no. Um, so <laughs> we tend to think people who are really good looking usually, or people who are really successful can do no wrong. So we're, then we are even more surprised when they do. So they, we think they have this halo, but when we're sad, we less, we are less likely to fall for that. We have, we are much more clear, clear sighted. And the same, wow. the, the fundamental attribution error is the idea that when someone says things, something to us, we think that they mean the worst. And I'm not too bad at this, but I have my husband is quite um, keen to think this sometimes. But when we're sad, we don't fall for the fundamental attribution error either. We're less likely to see the worst in people and we're less likely to be dazzled by beautiful, successful people. I know sadness is okay, but when does it start, do you think, to become an unhealthy thing? Well, I think there's there's some really interesting. um, So the way that do you mean in terms of like tipping over into something? more serious yeah like I I, you know it's that balance again like I can only talk from my own from my own kind of but like I've had days where I'm like you know I felt a certain way for a few days Mm -hmm. and then I either through having people around me that are very supportive or you know talking to people or whatever I've kind of gone it's enough now yeah it's it's you know it's time for me to it's time for me to come engage back in 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 life and and go for a walk and and you know wh- when does sadness become unhealthy is there signs well i think the official the official definition which is a whole other story because it's it's mainly based on this american um dsm where they they basically arbitrarily decided that if you have the same symptoms for more than than 2 weeks um you can get a diagnosis if you meet uh, I think it's five of the nine criteria but someone else could have four completely different ones of you than as you and still get the same diagnosis so it's it's things like of course when things if things feel just too hopeless then of course it's always better to ask a GP and if you've been feeling something for two weeks and you think this is not right then of course go and see a doctor I think um, there, there are some complications in terms of the the way that depression is diagnosed now based on um, guidelines in this book the DSM from the US doesn't take into account grief uh, or if you've just been made redundant or you've just gone through a heartache Um, and these things will take longer so there used to be a grief clause whereby you couldn't get diagnosed with depression within six months of of losing a loved one and that is no longer there they've done away with that so Mm -hmm. I think if there has been a major loss, it will take longer. You will feel sad for longer. But if anyone's in any doubt, then, you know, as you, as we have said, there is no stigma and you should absolutely ask for help. Yeah, because I wonder sometimes it's not even it's not even sadness. But, you know, if you're in a situation where your kids are all healthy, you have a job, you can get outdoors, you know, life mightn't be, you know, John John's life, but it it <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty good, but you just can't get happy. Do you know? Like, does you can't find? It's not that you're sad. You're just not. Nothing is giving you any success when good things come your way. You just can't mm-hmm. take the happiness for it. 
you I know think... it's just i've heard a lot of people talking like this to me recently and and maybe it's because of the pandemic or maybe it's because but they can't even when something good has come their way they just it's just not giving them happiness you know i think that that's it though you know as you say it is the times that we're in we are living in a global pandemic this is a time of of massive reflection and and nobody could have expected the year that we've all just experienced. Mm. I get quite excited by the um, 19th century Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, the Danish gloom king, a very miserable man, but he had some very interesting ideas and he thought of sadness um, as a sort of bliss in melancholy, as a reflective emotion, so that actually it's a message and it, and it gives us uh, the opportunity to stop and think about what we want the next phase to look like. And in that way, it's very useful. So, yeah, I think many of us are feeling like that right now, that mm. we have been in this for so long now and, and we don't quite know a clear end. And that's perfectly normal to feel sad about that. That's OK. Even angry about it. You know, I'm angry at the way that the government has dealt with things, for example. Mm. But um, it's also a chance to think about what we want the next phase to look like. So it's not always going to be easy and pleasant and fun, but yeah. it's it's life and, and it has these these lows too it, it just feels like sometimes it's it's not having the ability to i don't know is is to know that this is a nice moment mm. like if i'm yeah, lying on the floor and i'm doing colorings with my daughter and she says something funny to know that this is a nice little moment that i'm having with my daughter right now this is yeah you know that i'm i i i i'm not expecting um happiness to be this big event mm-hmm. you know the day you bought your bmw or you know you know these the big holiday i went on a shitty holiday jesus i brought the kids my missus wasn't well and she wanted to get rid of the kids and i brought them in a really shitty camper van and we stayed in a lot of really cheap sites because i'd left the last minute and but we just had the greatest adventure we just had the greatest time it was like a movie or something Uh, and i'd like it was me and six of them in the in the in the in the van like and we just had and the whole way through it it was one of those times where i just was like this this is good this is this is what I'm it's happy. about yeah this, i'm happy this is nice like this is this shouldn't be as good as it but is i think you're right it's but it's noticing it there's there's research into how we make our memories and it's that noticing so for example when you're down on the floor coloring with your daughter it's saying to yourself this is nice i may not feel necessarily that buzz that sort of happy or even that sort of tingly moment of joy feeling but this is a nice time i'm we're safe i'm here together that's nice and and noticing it and then saying to her this is nice we're doing this isn't it and then you can say you know later in the evening you reinforce that memory you go oh do you remember yesterday we were down on the floor coloring i really like doing that with you and you're and you know not saying it every day or she'll think you've lost it but you know just um making that you have to sort of create those memories and especially right now when nobody's doing anything that much i mean i can you know which day of the week it is who knows but trying to differentiate by by creating those memories can be really helpful i had a friend of mine last recently and he was saying that he he wakes up in he wakes up in the morning and he turns around to his wife and he goes how did you sleep you know and he's been saying this obviously for a while now and she she just went Stop fucking asking me every morning. Why do you say that to me? And he's just like, I don't know. It's just I've got nothing to say. Like, like it's just me and you yeah. stuck here. Like I don't. Like <laughs> I'm, I, I'll stop saying. <laughs> you know, it's people are just don't know what to be doing with themselves. You know, like yeah. even that little 
like it's funny like i've just started doing the podcast again seeing you today i look over and john john's there and mahi's here and like those things i just really appreciating the fact that i'm i'm seeing people i haven't seen before and i'm having nice chats and yeah you know you, you've kind of you've got to kickstart yourself a bit haven't you you've got to yeah for sure. And human connection is so important. And yeah, I'm a writer. I will happily spend a long time by myself in a room scribbling. But yeah, that, that connection I met. I mean, I don't think I've met really new people in real life for so long that I met my neighbours and I was near giddy afterwards. I was so excited. I mean, they're really nice and they're, they're new neighbours and they're very interesting jobs and not the halo effect, don't worry. But um, <laughs> I was really, I felt almost drunk on it afterwards. It was such a high. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, that is what we are wired for. You know, um, researchers from Oxford University have looked at the power of connections and how important that is for us. And it's just something that's been missing for, for a year. So no wonder. Yeah. I mean, it's great to be able to do this and to have the technology so that we can talk you and I now yeah. um but uh, god I can't wait to just meet strangers and help I them because so, I I was in the supermarket the other day and I know it's kind of like I imagine like um sussing out uh you know in America in the 50s who was a communist do you know like right. if people are going around they you know some people really want to be distanced and other people they're just aching to have a conversation and I could see yeah. these two women who just, I, they didn't know each other, but they were so excited that the two of them were willing to have a conversation with each other that they, they were grinning like fucking weirdos. And I was like, God, they just, that's just human connection. They, that's all that is. They just yeah. want to have a chat and not be around their parent or their family, you know, just for 10 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to see. Yeah. And my friend has started putting lipstick on to go to the supermarket under her mask just because it makes her feel better. <laughs> I tell it like I, I come to work I'm like what will I wear I, I live fucking five minutes down the road like I've got I'm a sneakerhead. like I've got like 200 pairs of sneakers I'm like what will I wear today I don't see anyone <laughs> no one's looking at my feet and I'm spending a waste of my time but I suppose it's just to keep yourself from not absolutely losing them tell me this can we I, I have my own opinion on this but can we make other people happy I think we can go about our day being a, as good a person as we can and we can do acts of kindness and we can do acts of service um i don't think we can fundamentally change how how somebody is going to feel you can't change people um but we can certainly make sure that we've we've um, we've done the work on ourselves and that we've helped ourselves to be in a good position and you know we of course we are a product of the people around us um but i think i think it really it's about being a good person and and really trying to be kind. There's there's lots of studies that show that we feel better when we do something for someone else. So of course that'll make us feel better and it'll make them feel better. But I'm not sure that we can make someone happy. What do you think? I, I, I've always kind of, I've tried it in the past. Same. And I've, I've found that, and, and now I'm very selfish by nature. It's, it's in my nature to be quite a selfish person. But I find if I manage my own happiness, if I do everything in my power to be happy, then I can more help the people around me be happy because I can walk into a situation where I'm not um, in a mood. I'm not bringing bad energy into a situation. I can be calm if someone is um, reactive. I think that's yeah. the fear sometimes is you hear like you hear people go, you know, oh, she's doing this and she's doing that. And she, you know, and she's and they're giving out about someone else and blaming that person on their 
their happiness when really but if you, you've got to manage your own happiness. I have, I kind of was thinking about this before, and it, it, this is the deal of a partnership, I suppose. But if someone's not adding to your happiness, they're subtracting from it. You know, like if you're in a good space and then you're like, I was talking to friends about relationships they've been in. And this person is slowly kind of taking their happiness levels down a lot. I, I, I was like, this is quite toxic. This is quite, quite dangerous. And you're very careful to judge other people's relationship. We all have good and bad days. Mm-hmm. But if it's consistent over a long period of time where you go, well, this person is gradually kind of breaking you down and, and bringing your happiness levels down. You need to be very careful, right? I think there's something. So so if happiness is down to the three things of genetics, early early childhood experience and lifestyle, of course, whoever you're with partner wise, you can't do anything about the first two. So it's only the lifestyle bit. And actually your relationship with your partner is probably a big part of that, but it's not mm. it's not at all. But um, I think there is something very important in the idea, a little like the sitting with sadness, sitting with discomfort. It's not pleasant and, and many of us avoid it wherever we can. But um, I think learning how to be sad is really helpful for learning to, to, to feel as though you're strong enough to do hard things. Um, I love the US writer Glennon Doyle, but the idea that we can do hard things. So if you're in a relationship and you feel that you're being chipped away or rather that um, that actually this is not not working but the fear of the unknown can be very great that you can do hard things you can start over and rebuild and it doesn't mean that um you don't have to stay in something that you're not that you're not happy in Mm. that um being afraid of the pain or feeling sad shouldn't stop you doing anything that's kind of my main idea that you know if, if if the fear of doing something is is too great that you don't want to do it then that that's a bit of a problem so actually you have to be okay with the sadness and the pain yeah yeah because I, I i find like little things like you know if i know i'm feeling a bit down i'll grab the dog i'll take the dog for a Dogs walk i'll spend some time with my kids i might lift some weights and do some exercise i might read a book i might listen to some nice music i know what my triggers are i know the things to make me feel relaxed and and to make me feel better like, you know, with that green energy, I have one daughter and like we do it on the way to school. It's funny. It's just this trick where I just go, you tell me three good things that happened yesterday and tell me three good things that are happening today. And she'd be such a grumpy bitch on the way. And and then by the time we get to the school, she's kosher. She's golden because she's just planted these tiny little seeds of positivity. She's seen a couple of trees. She's seen a few leaves on the ground and it's just amazing what just even being outdoors can 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 do you know um so yeah so that makes yeah, a lot of and sense and there's loads of science behind it yeah yeah how could we be happier well we could first of all be totally okay with experiencing all of our emotions and not be shutting off bits of ourselves because if we do that the the detriment of any kind of thought suppression in that way is really unhealthy um and then you know getting outside is a great one being around the sea is really good for us. Um, and even for short amounts of time, the whole idea of the uh, 10,000 steps that we've all been fed was actually mm. a marketing ploy from the um, from an Olympics in the 1960s. So 10,000 steps is great, but any type of exercise, even just 20 minutes a day, uh, doing a walk outside will make us feel so much better. So there's nothing sort of that groundbreaking, you know, yeah. redu- reduction in the amount of processed food which i feel having had an eating disorder 
in my 20s, it feels very odd to ever kind of talk about what people should or shouldn't be eating. But certainly now I can see my own mood if I have too much sugar goes bananas. So um, looking after ourselves in that way, books are really good. Uh, I think music is so powerful. But you can always, you know, have a kitchen disco, put on the disco ball. We bought one, it was two pounds. Um, and just have a bit of a dance around to something. Yeah. It's just little things. I think sometimes our expectations, like we said at the start, this idea of we want something and then we'll get it and then we'll be happy. Our expectations are often quite grand and happiness and joy is in the little things and then yeah. working out what meaningfully we want in our lives. It's kind of sad that sometimes in life, you don't realize that till something something happens where you go, God, why didn't I, why wasn't I grateful yeah. then? Why wasn't I grateful when things were just normal? You yes. know, something. So, and I noticed, I noticed different levels of sadness as well. You know, we we're talking about grief and we we're talking about these big, big emotional things, but there's just sadness. There's just like that girl doesn't like me. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't. I've I, I fell out with a friend who I care about, and now they don't talk to me. There's there's like what are smaller things, but just didn't get the job I wanted, or you know, there's there's mm-hmm. those little things that just can grind you down, you know. Yeah, but and I think you know, talking about like kids and friends, you, you, it's really good to let them feel those things. The, the the inclination is to sort of sweep away any of the problems, but actually, if they had a tough day because their friend has fallen out with them. You say, that's really tough. Yeah, that is tough. Because then they'll be able to build next time and cope with the next bigger thing that will happen. Whereas if you try and take away all the problems, then no one has any resilience. I watch my kids, like, you know, the start of Up. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's a Pixar movie. Oh, my God. little old man, right? And the, my the first five minutes. now traumatized. Yeah, I'm fucking bawling. And my little one is looking at me going, like absolutely nothing, not even a glassy <laughs> eye on her, nothing. I just, I just wondered sometimes because they see things that we, I would never have seen as a child. Yeah. Um, and even the fact they're living through a pandemic now, you know, like. Yes, I do wonder the impact that will have. Like I always try to get them out of the room, but they do this thing in Ireland where they go, and today's death toll is, you know, like it's that <gasps> oh, kind of newsy fucking shit where they go, yeah, and a thousand people are dead today. And you're like, Jesus. But, but that becomes nearly a number. Do you get me? It's like if you were to write a thousand names down, you would you would have it would have a huge impact. To, but just when you see a number, it becomes just numeric and not real. And yeah. sometimes I wonder the shocking stuff that is just that just goes. Yeah, by them there is something you know? about we don't have the news on when the kids are around, but there's also something about social media that traditionally our kind of cohort would have been about 30 people that the maximum people number of people we knew would have been 150 so we would rank ourselves or or work out where we were in the pack in that group and now our our virtual pack is everybody in the world and we're comparing ourselves to you know supermodels and like famous comedians and you know emmy winners um so this idea that we are going to put ourselves up against this maybe one percent of the population and and feel disappointed when we don't measure up to that i've been trying to do a bit of training at the moment and it's just these really muscly guys coming up on my feed i don't know what the hell my missus will think if she sees it but like it's it's like i do my weights at home and then i I feel really good and then i look in the mirror and i'm expecting to see thor staring back at me or something <laughs> and it's just me with my belly and i'm like ah oh, i'm so disappointed and then and then i look at instagram and these guys have they're, they're like they just 
it's like they have a different genetic makeup to me completely. Like, do you think all that Instagram and all that is 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 kind of making and providing a lot more sadness for people or disappointment? I think yeah. For I I asked every every sort of expert and psychologist and um, geneticist and neuroscientist. I I asked that question because I'm fascinated by that also. And about half said definitely yes. So yeah, I think um, it yeah it it can't be great. And I think we just have to be really um, sensible about it, which is hard because there are big businesses invested in keeping us on it for longer. But I think yeah, and I and I'm on social media, so I I'm not completely anti, but. I, I do think, as you know, everyone who's scrolled, you know, it just doesn't make you feel great after a while. So you need to stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. That halo effect ain't working on me, I can tell you. Yes, yeah. There is something in just those little moments throughout the day, those little things to make you happy, those little yeah. interactions and the, the honesty of someone kind of asking you, because that's the most common one in Ireland that I see is how are you doing? Like I hear myself say it all the time. And I'm, I, you know, and we go, ah, oh, yeah, I'm grand. Like that's the response always. Ah, oh, yeah, grand. Yeah, things are grand. Yeah, things aren't fucking grand at all. Like, but I think a, yeah. a, a lot more people are starting to go. Oh, I have a pain in me arse with this, or I'm finding this this last lockdown. Yeah. I find I'm really fatigued. Like this, I'm struggling with this. I've heard more yeah. people say that to me now than ever before. And that's kind of made me feel good in one way because it, may, it it does give me a faith that people are okay to be a little bit honest with each other, you know. Yes, and just not taking the answer. I'm fine. Yeah, I think because because the human connections are so are so precious and they're so much more rare that you kind of just take them. You're like, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell this person everything. <laughs> I just really want to just chat to someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Helen, thank you so much. The really, really, really lovely Pleasure. to chat to you. And I know you're hiding in a wardrobe there and it's minus, I don't even know how cold it is outside. Minus 17. I, minus 17. What have you got to moan about now, John John? Minus 17. That's damn cold. Um, uh, But I'm going to eat up everything. I, I'm, I'm just dying to re- uh, dig into your books as well. And I know how busy you are. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so, so much for, for giving me the time to have a chat with me. It was, uh, it was great. It was really nice. It was really Total nice. Total pleasure. To thank you. Now, did I tell you she was great? Isn't she great? I'm talking to you. I am. You're, you're, you're not even staring. Like, she's great. Do you not like she her? Great. She's, she's great. great. I loved her. I loved her. Um. Helen's book, How to Be Sad, is out now. Uh, I, I'll put a link in the bio. Just throw it in there because I'm very tech savvy like that. Uh, well, you. I no, I'm not. <laughs> I, won't, I won't lie. I don't know how you do that. So you will put a link in the bio, but it'll be there for the listeners. That's all that matters. Uh, and she also has a podcast called, guess what it's called, John John? Uh, how to Be Sad? John John. Oh, yeah, well done, John John. Jaja, well done. Yeah, How To Be Sad is her podcast, which is well worth a listen as well. So, okay, let me think. What do I think? Okay. You hear the expression a lot at the moment, we're all in it together, right? We are in our arse, right? I hate hate it when I hear that because it's not true, you know. Suffering, though, and sadness is a huge part of the human experience. You can't avoid it. You know, if you've ever been um, broken hearted or you've ever lost someone, you know, someone you truly loved. And um, if you've ever been redundant or if you've been very ill or maybe you are ill and um, if you dealt with 
mental illness in your life or uh, maybe someone you care about uh, suffers from it and um, if you've ever suffered the loss of a, a child a miscarriage or an abortion even fucking even infertility man it's, it's sadness and that is killer if you've dealt with racism sexism bigotry if you've been mistreated cheated bullied or abused if you've ever been sad like truly sad this man this is where we're all in it the same because sadness it doesn't discriminate you got to deal with your sadness be open to yourself and to others deal deal with sadness and pain if it's serious like if you break your arm you don't go ah feck it i'm grand who fancies a game of handball no you go you you get it looked at you diagnose the problem you heal you let you, you you mind yourself you let yourself mend and it's the same with your emotions. I, I believe that, you know. You either deal with sadness or you take it and you roll it into a little tight ball and you bury it so deep inside that one day it just explodes in the middle of a queue in little at some teenager who just cut you off while you were talking to your eight-year-old, giving her... Anyway, true story. <laughs> the point is, the point is, don't be afraid to be sad. Because once you offload sadness, it gives you freedom to be happy again. And life is snakes and ladders. That's the way life is. Sometimes you're going to feel sad. But it makes it makes reaching for those cherries at the top, it makes them taste that little bit sweeter. Do you know what I mean? Does everyone feel me? Do they know what I mean? John, John, do you feel me? I am with you. Sometimes I just get a bit excited about it all. But sadness, I, I'm very close to sadness. Um, listen, that's all we got for this week. Um, you can you can subscribe. Please do. Um, because that means a lot to us. It means a lot to John John and Mahi as well. It's a nice pat on the back for them. Um, you could you could you could do other things. You could follow us uh, on uh, my Instagram, uh, Bashmaui. Is there anything else I'm forgetting? Review us. Review us. Say nice things. Five stars only, please. Yeah, cause listen, like we're life is hard and I'm sad. <laughs> what an out! I can't better that out. That's that's all I got. Listen, people, take care of each other. Good luck in the cup. <laughs>